Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and to Timothy, our brother, uh, to, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Apropha, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every uh, good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Now formerly I was, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. And I would have liked to keep him with me so that I could have taken your place in helping me while in uh, chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor that you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother." He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done anything, if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, then charge it to me. Now I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will pay it back, not to mention uh, that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write this, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends your greetings, and so do Mark, Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, this, is a, this is Paul's. Paul the Apostle wrote this letter, and it's Paul's uh, shortest letter. Uh, but don't let its size fool you. Uh, this thing has uh, really packs a punch. Uh, you know, on the surface, it might seem like Paul is just simply asking a church community to welcome someone new uh, who has moved into town. And that is Onesimus is moving into town. The town is Colossae. Uh, and he'll be looking for a church. And so uh, this little house church, while small, offers good teaching, decent music, and a respectable children's program, and has a website that looks like it's been actually been updated since 2005. Uh, and so, hey, this is a church worth checking out, right? Uh, and so it seems, on the surface, it kind of seems like maybe Paul is just trying to make the case to this house church, you need to be ready to receive guests, right? A guest is coming, be ready. Uh, but, I, but trust me, this small book uh, is much more explosive than that. 
in order to get a sense of really what's going on, we need to understand uh, the relationships that are in play uh, in this book because we're kind of coming into it without any context. And so we kind of need to understand what, who, how, how are these folks that are named in the letter uh, in relationship with one another? What is their relationship with one another? Uh, and, and we really need to understand that in order to get the full weight of what Paul is actually asking of Philemon. So, uh, so let's kind of like get a sense of what those relationships look like. Uh, Philemon was a rich Roman citizen who lived in Colossae. Uh, we know a lot about Colossae because Paul wrote a letter to the Christians in Colossae. It's what we know as the book of Colossians. Uh, and Philemon had met the Apostle Paul during one of Paul's missionary journeys uh, and had become a Christian and then was going back and returning back to his hometown of Colossae. Now, Paul, though, uh, actually had a colleague in Colossae named Epaphras. Uh, and Epaphras was starting a Jesus-centered community in Colossae. And so Paul is like, hey, when you get there, when you get back to your hometown, make sure you find and connect with Epaphras, who's starting this new Jesus-centered community. Uh, and so Paul connects them, and uh, the two, Philemon and Epaphras, actually start a church together uh, in Colossae. Uh, and what happens is Philemon becomes a quick leader of this community and actually hosts, begins to host the church in his house, uh, which is very typical, actually. Um, in kind of these house churches in the New Testament period were often hosted by wealthy uh, folks who had become Christians. And the reason for that was very, very practical. Uh, they had the space, <laughs> right? It was just like they had, they had the space to host people in their home. And so usually when you think about house churches, usually the host uh, is a wealthy person who has become a Christian and is now starting this, this house church. Uh, and, and so that's kind of the setting. Uh, you have Epaphras and Philemon starting this Jesus-centered community in Colossae. Now Philemon, who just like every other wealthy Roman citizen at the time, owned slaves. And one of the slaves was named Onesimus. And while the details aren't exactly clear about what happened, we know that Philemon and Onesimus had a falling out. Uh, and many scholars believe that Onesimus stole money from Philemon and then ran away. Uh, now this is, uh, this is a wrong that at the very least would, would subject Onesimus to jail time. Uh, at the very worst could even be uh, death. So this is a very grave offense, uh, at least in the eyes of culture at the time. Uh, so now, after running away, Onesimus actually goes to find Paul, who's in prison, to try to seek out help. And of course, uh, Paul, uh, it's just like if you meet Paul, you become a Christian, right? So, so like this happens to Philemon, and then this happens to Onesimus, right? So Onesimus meets Paul in prison, and then he becomes a Christian. Uh, but much more than that, uh, much more than that, he becomes like this, this, this genuine close friend and, and associate and partner with Paul uh, in ministry to uh, the other prisoners and those who are there. And the ministry that Paul is doing, Onesimus becomes this key player to the point where, as we're reading the letter, he refers to Onesimus as his very own son, right? And, and when we read that, we shouldn't think, oh, this is Paul's biological son. It's a, it's a, it's a term that kind of gives the weight of the relationship that they now have. Um, and so this, of course, now, uh, this, of course, puts Paul in a very, very sticky place, right? He is now dear friends with Philemon and dear friends with Onesimus. But Philemon and Onesimus are on the outs, right? I mean, they're like, their relationship is utterly broken. 
And, and Paul is now trying to like navigate that kind of those turbulent waters of how, how do I try to bring these two together? What does it look like for me to be in, in friendship with both of these people who together, uh, they're really at odds with one another. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a really, really difficult place to be, kind of caught in the middle. And so kind of with this background, we begin to see like the explosive nature of this short letter that Paul is writing to Philemon. Because basically this letter, this letter is Paul's plea to Philemon to forgive Onesimus and receive him back as a brother. And it's a huge ask, right? It's a huge ask. And again, if you've ever been in a situation where there's kind of broken relationships, if there, where, where things have crumbled and fallen apart and there doesn't seem to be any hope of, of this kind of reconciliation, this idea of, of forgiveness, and not just forgiveness, but then welcoming them back as a brother, uh, this is a huge ask that Paul is, doing of, is asking of Philemon. And that's really what, that's the core message of this book, is, is Paul's uh, big ask. Now, but he's not going to just come out and do that, right? Uh, when, when anytime that you're kind of handling things of weight, you need to handle them with grace. And we find that actually Paul does that, that Paul handles this with great grace. And he needs to provide some sort of theological foundation, right? He can't just come out of left field and say, hey, you need to welcome this guy back as your brother and you need to forgive him, right? Uh, he wants to set the theological foundation, which is exactly what he does. Uh, so after, after some um, typical kind of welcomes and, and greetings uh, that are typical of Pauline letters, uh, he begins by praising Philemon's love for God's people. He praises Philemon for his own faithfulness to God. And then he begins to start laying like this theological foundation, right? He starts laying the, the theological groundwork for what he's about to ask him. Uh, and we, we see this happening in verse 6. Verse 6 says this, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. These, these are the bricks uh, that, that are going to provide the foundation upon which Paul is going to, to ask Philemon to do this, this huge thing of forgive this person that has wronged him. Um, and, and actually, this verse um, is loaded with implications. And it's loaded with implications that Paul is actually pointing out regarding the gospel, right? So, so think about this relationship. Paul uh, has, Philemon has become a Christian based on the ministry of Paul. And so Paul is essentially, as a way of laying that foundation, is saying, let me remind you of some of the implications of the gospel of Jesus Christ to which you have ascribed, to which you have given your life, right? And, and we find kind of the key the key thought in, in this Greek word uh, that in the English translation is partnership uh, is actually a Greek word. You may have heard it before if you grew up in church. It's a Greek word called koinonia, okay? And it's this, sometimes we, we translate it as fellowship, other times as partnership. But here it is. Paul is saying, uh, I pray that your koinonia with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of, of Christ. Now, koinonia is this word that means sharing or mutual participation. And there's an uh, author and um, theologian named Tim Mackey. He says this. He says, koinonia is when two people receive something together and share in it, and then thereby making them partners. 
Koinonia is when two or more people receive the same thing and they're sharing in that thing that they've received. So now it can be said that they are called partners in this. And so, so koinonia for Paul is this, is this reality of what we share in Jesus Christ. It, it's used in the New Testament to describe the blessing and the gift that all people share in Christ, particularly those who have placed their faith, their trust, their allegiance in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying there is this inherent unity, this inherent sharing for anyone who calls on the name of Christ. This is a good word for the church today. <laughs> that, that, you know, we tend to like get pretty worked up about stuff. Uh, uh, what we disagree with and this and that and this kind of nuance and that kind of nuance and that's fine and I'm, I'm all about theological conversation and debate and I think that's great. But at the end of the day, kind of having this recognition that there is this unity that we share based on the gift and the blessing of Christ. Are you with me? Now, do you remember last week when we said, uh, this, this ties directly into what we learned last week as we were closing out the Greater Than series, uh, we learned that we are saved uh, not so much by our own faith, but through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Uh, that, that it's not just, Paul, when he, says, talk, when he talks about us being saved by faith, he's not talking about kind of two options, uh, one being right belief and right doctrine, and then your own kind of, or your own effort of good works. He's actually pointing us to the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, that we're saved by the faithfulness of Christ, not just our own ability to kind of conjure up right doctrine. Okay, this is the exact same thing. What, what Paul is essentially saying is we don't create the fellowship. We are invited to recognize and live into the fellowship that is already ours in Jesus Christ. You with me? Now, I'm preaching better than you're responding, okay? This side of the room is doing pretty well. This side of the room is not doing so great. So if you guys could kind of give me a little bit more, that'd be awesome, okay? So for Paul, so for Paul, in other words, koinonia is not like this kind of abstract idea that you're meant to just think about. <sighs> Let me say it this way. For Paul, all theology... All theology, I got to talk to this side of the room, you know, like you guys are giving me stuff. So for Paul, I'll, I'll try to work on you guys. For Paul, all theology is practical theology. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're doing well. That's right. Good, good. I'm waking this side up. Okay, so for Paul, all theology is practical theology. In other words, it has, to, it has to be rooted and grounded in something. Theology is not just an exercise of the mind. Our theology is rooted in what we do, right? So, so he's laying this foundation and he's reminding Philemon about this unity, this sharedness in the gift of Christ. And then he's going to ask, then he's going to make the big ask, right? But he's like, he's softening the punch a little bit and he's saying, hey, this is, let me just remind you about what's happening. Because for Paul, koinonia is not something you just think about, it is something you do in your relationships, and this is the theological foundation upon which Paul's request to Philemon regarding his estranged slave Onesimus. And the big, bold request comes in verses 15 and 16. It says this, Perhaps the reason that he was separated from you for a little while was that, he, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, even dearer to you, as a fellow man and as a fellow brother 
in the Lord. That's the big ask, is to welcome him back, not just with forgiveness, but to welcome him back into relationship. It's like, it's kind of two sides of the same coin. Yes, forgive for the wrong that he's committed. But more than that, Paul is drawing from the reality that in Christ we are all on equal footing. And to follow through on Paul's request, I want you to hear this, to follow through and actually do what Paul is requesting, Philemon would have had to totally upend all social expectation. Uh, it, it was because, listen, any slave that had wronged their owner in this way was subject to be put in prison or put to death, as I mentioned earlier. So to forgive would be radical. To forgive would be radical. To welcome him back as a brother would be unheard of. Right? So, so this is like the, the gospel is totally upending kind of all social expectations, all kind of like social uh, nuances of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, all of these things. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is blowing all of that up in order to welcome this person who was once a slave and then welcome them back as a social equal and as a member of the family. Oh, man. It's crazy. Now, after making this request, Paul moves quickly to the ending. He said, number one, I'll be com- I'm confident that you'll do this and even more. <laughs> I'm confident that you'll do that and even more stuff, like even more kind of gospel Jesus-y stuff. You're going to do it, right? Uh, and then he says, oh, right. Oh, by the way, Epaphras and the crew say hello, you know? So he's, like, he's just like, boom, and then, hey, the friends say hey, you know? Uh, but, but here's, so it's a funny ending. Uh, due to like kind of the weight of the request. But here's what I want to do. I want to make two observations. Uh, I got a short message for you today. Two observations. Number one, this is the only letter in which Paul does not explicitly mention Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection. This is the only Pauline letter in Scripture in which Paul does not explicitly mention the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Let me say this. Just because Jesus isn't mentioned doesn't mean he's absent. With me? Here's what I want to point out. Paul makes no mention of Jesus because the forgiveness, the reconciliation that he's trying to facilitate between these two people is what the gospel looks like. This is the gospel with, with flesh and bones. This is, Paul doesn't even have to mention, Paul doesn't have to mention explicitly the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because he's asking it to the implications of it to be put on display. And so when, when we think about like, what, does the, what is the gospel? What does the gospel look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? This letter begins to show us all kinds of things that we can begin to mention, right? How about folks who were once marginalized being, being regarded as social equals? How about when folks wrong us forgiveness? How about pushing toward reconciliation with all that we're worth, right? 
and recognizing that there needs to be some nuance there, like in the, in the sense of abusive relationships, forgiveness is good. Let's not invite the abuser back into our lives, right? Like there's, there's some nuance here, but it's pointing us to like the beauty of the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God, the way of Jesus, and it's putting it on display in the lives of this small church community. And in case you don't, in case you don't believe me, Paul, like, I mean, this letter is already like turned up to 10 and right toward the end, he cranks it up to 11, right? Because this is what he says. This is, this is crazy. To, to make this implication even stronger, look at verses 17 and 18. To make the implication that even stronger, that this is the gospel put on display. I don't have to explicitly talk about Jesus because this is what the gospel looks like. Verse 17 and 18. So if you consider me a partner, there's the word koinonia again. If you consider us in partnership and in unity based on our giftedness in Christ, if you consider that, then welcome him, that is Onesimus, as you would welcome me. Paul is saying to Philemon, if we share in this koinonia, then welcome this person who has wronged you in the same way that you would welcome me. And then he goes, this is when he cranks it up to 11. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, then charge it to me. Do you catch this? Paul is saying that he is willing to take the wrongs of Onesimus upon himself so that he and Philemon can be reconciled. Do you see the picture in your notes? Paul is quite literally holding a hand out here and holding a hand out here in order to reconcile these two that were estranged. There is no need for mention of Jesus because this is quite literally what the gospel of Jesus looks like. This should call immediately to our minds the work of Jesus Christ who has reconciled the world to himself. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of what the gospel looks like. And, and it has all kinds of things, like implications for us. Um, one, of, one of the great challenges of, of being the people of God is kind of discerning, like, what does it mean to be a Christian in this time and in this place and with things that are going on? And, and, and I don't want to oversimplify that, but I think a really great starting place is to begin to discern what does the kingdom of God look like? And how do we as the people of God begin participating in that? And, and kind of making that our kind of first thing more than that's the way we've always done it or more than, uh, oh, you can't do that because of this social thing and that social norm and, and all of that kind of stuff. Because like, what the gospel does in the first century, if you're really reading it in its context, is, is it is continually trying to blow up social expectations and norms in light of who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's the people of God kind of having this, this humble, discerning willingness to, when necessary, blow up social norms and say, yeah, I know that this probably isn't socially how you're supposed to do it, but probably socially Philemon wasn't supposed to welcome Onesimus, <laughs> right? You, you see what I'm saying? So you just kind of like, the, the role of the people of God throughout history is kind of this role of, of, of humble and open discernment to the movement of God and just this asking an honest question of what does the kingdom of God look like? And, and being willing then to, to kind of explore the answers even though they might make us uncomfortable. Uh, so the first thing, the first observation is 
Uh, this is the gospel on display, even though Jesus is not explicitly mentioned. The second thing I want to mention is this. Uh, the second observation is this. The, the gospel is always personal, but rarely, if ever, private. So, so the gospel and the implications of the gospel are always personal, right? There, there's no theology except practical theology. It has to, in some way, at some point, intersect with your real life, right? So the gospel is always personal, but ne- ever, if rarely, if ever, private, okay? And here, here's what I mean. This is a deeply personal request made to Philemon regarding Onesimus. But did you notice in the greeting that the, that the letter is addressed to the whole community? Isn't that odd, right? Like Paul is making a very personal request about his broken relationship with Onesimus, and then he's inviting the whole, he's addressing the letter to the whole community. Now there's a couple of things going on here. Paul may be saying, hey, if I address this to the whole community, Philemon has a little more pressure, <laughs> right? Like, hey, if I kind of let everybody in on this, uh, he's going to have a lot of pressure to kind of live this out, right? I mean, and that's a reality. That, that, that very well could be the reason. Uh, but another possibility uh, might be that the reconciliation between Philemon and Onesimus inherently impacts the community. You see what I'm saying? That, that whether these two people reconcile or not, has an impact on the community. Uh, I can imagine, uh, imagine with me, like kind of put yourself in this, this community. I can imagine that people were tempted uh, to take sides and draw lines, right? Uh, whose side are you on? Are you on Philemon's side or are you on Onesimus' side? Uh, like who, whose side are you on? Let's take sides, let's draw lines. Uh, this is exactly the stuff that church splits are made of, Right? Uh, and and the, the ancient church wasn't any more immune to it than we are, right? Uh, this is exactly what's going on. And so while deeply personal, it is not private because it affects kind of the whole community. So uh, it's going to affect them in some way. And, and also, I would, imagine, I would imagine this, that Philemon is going to need the support of the community in order to welcome Onesimus back. That Philemon's going to need to pull upon and draw upon the strength, the strength of his brothers and sisters in Christ in order to live out this gospel. Um, I think that's really powerful. That as, as much as we want to try to believe that, it's, that we can kind of just put our nose down and plow through and I can do it on my own, that there's this kind of recognition that, man, we need each other, you know? Um, so not only, not only is Philemon going to need the strength of the community in order to welcome Onesimus back, but how about this? The community will be strengthened when Philemon does. That, that the community will be strengthened by seeing this gospel on display, by seeing forgiveness and humility on display, builds the community up. And so regardless of what happens, the community is involved and, and, and it needs, and so Paul addresses the, the letter to the entire community. And so it would be, in other words, it would be good for us to be reminded then today that the implications of the gospel are always deeply personal, 
but rarely, if ever, private. And I think, um, I think one of the one of the do I want to say sad? Do I want to say dangerous? I'm not sure what the right word here is, but but one of the things that I've observed is is kind of in modern culture, individualistic culture, is we tend to really just think, hey, this is just a, this just between me and God, or it's just me and God, right? And and on one hand, I want to say that is so true. And on the other hand, I want to say, but, but you're missing the way in which this relationship impacts this relationship, you know? That, that whatever's happening here has some kind of ripple effect out here. Uh, that, that, that there's always kind of the, these communal, these social implications. We are, we are made, designed, built for community. And so anytime we take the community out of the picture and begin to isolate ourselves, I think we're in error, Right? And so I want to hold both of those together in tension, and a lot of times I don't even know how to do that, to tell you the truth. I don't, I don't know exactly what that looks like a lot, but, but I do want to just kind of live in the tension of this reality that, that there is something deeply personal about the gospel in the, in the implications of Jesus Christ for my life, but then there's also this, like, this ripple effect and the implications for community and how this thing affects other people around me and all of that. Um, and, and so I want to hold those two together in tension because I think um, that's at least part of what this letter is showing us. Because it's so curious. It's so curious that Paul would, would write it to this, this little house church, uh, such this, this deeply personal thing uh, between Philemon and Onesimus. So, well, I hope that that's been helpful to us today, this powerful little book that can be read in, in literally just a couple of minutes. And yet, I think it has so much to say to us and, and so much that we can kind of work out and seek to work out probably for a lifetime. And, and so I want to pray for us and just ask uh, that God would help us uh, as we seek to not only understand his word, but allow his word to take root in our lives and in our hearts uh, so that we might be formed more and more into his likeness. Um, and so let's pray together. God, thank you for um, this letter that through the history of church the, and the preservation of your spirit and the wisdom of, of the saints that have gone before us have found its way into your holy scriptures that we might draw from its richness. This short little letter, and yet it has so much to say to us, this ancient, these ancient words from a world that just seems so unfamiliar and so far gone and yet has so much to say to us and implications for us today, right here and right now. And so God, I pray that you would help us uh, through the working of your spirit in our midst right now and in the days to come, that you would help us to understand uh, this word and the implications of it for our lives. And so, Lord, would you speak to us, each one? Maybe there's something about forgiveness or something about seeking reconciliation, something about those who are marginalized by, by culture and society and systems uh, being brought into and, and made one at the foot of the cross and called a fellow member of humanity and made a social equal. Whatever it is, God, I pray that you would speak to us and that we would be open to receive your word today. And God, I've done my best to communicate clearly and with passion, and so now would you translate my words into precisely 
what each of us needs to hear. And may this, um, may this word stay fresh on our minds, uh, not just today, but throughout the week, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.